0: Hi, this is Lindsey Miller, and you're listening to the Arkansas Times Week Interview Podcast on Friday, September 15th, sponsored by 42 at the Clinton Center. On today's edition, we're going to talk about the Little Rock School District settling a racial bias lawsuit, the State Board of Education approving three new charter schools in Little Rock, and the latest news on DACA. I'm joined once again by Benji Hardy. Hello. Hello, Benji. Hello, Lindsey. Thanks for being here. So uh, Little Rock Schools District Superintendent Mike Poor urged the State Board of Education to take a closer look at three charter school proposals before the, that were before the State Board yesterday. The board chose not to, which made the, gave, gave uh, the go-ahead for the, the right. three schools.
1: Right, right. Um, yeah, and actually, there are five schools total, um, three of them in Little Rock, two in Pine Bluff. Um, that was the maximum number of charter proposals that the charter authorizing panel (coughs) excuse me um, could approve at any one time uh, according to the state the state law governing charter schools and and, uh, that cap rises periodically um, depending on how many charter schools there are so it's um it sort of gets adjusted every year. Um, there, the next cycle, when the next cycle comes around, there will be an opportunity for other charters to apply further, so the law very sort of liberally allows for you know, expansive charter growth. Um, now the charter authorizing panel um, is the sort of preliminary review body that, that gave the green light to these applications back in August. Um, and the three in Little Rock are the Einstein Charter School, uh, which is an operator that um, has been in New Orleans for about a decade. Um, They're a pretty well-established charter network down there. Um, also, the Friendship Aspire Academy, um, which operates in D.C., again, an established, an established charter network in, in the Washington area. And then uh, ScholarMade um, was the, the third application. Um, so, all three of those w- were again approved in, in August by the Charter Authorizing Panel. And then the decision before the State Board of Education uh, yesterday was whether or not to review the Charter Authorizing Panel's decision. So, you know, sort of some, some, some convoluted uh, legalese stuff. But essentially, the State Board could have um, taken a closer look at this previous decision. And it really wasn't. I
0: mean, the State Board had the power to say no.
1: Well, the process says, you know, they they have to review it first, you know. So, um if they had voted to review, then then there would have been a, another a rehearing essentially. I mean, similar to like um a a, a court case being appealed to an appellate court. Right. Um and then that would have happened in October. And although we know the state board is is, you know, quite uh receptive to charter schools, um it was not totally unreasonable to think that they would have at least chosen to, to review these. They did so last year with the big expansions of Eastham Charter School and Lisa Academy in Little Rock. And, um, you know, they, it seemed like there is some some receptiveness amongst some state board members um, to to take a closer look, um, especially since a lot of folks in Little Rock have been, you know, raising a lot of noise about charter expansion and, and the, the harm that it could do to the traditional public schools in the Little Rock School District. Um and because Superintendent Mike Poor um got up before the state board, he got up before the Charter Authorizing Panel previously in August too, and he said quite clearly that he thought this was not good for, for Little Rock. And I mean, of course, since Little Rock School District is under state takeover and Mike Poor was the man handpicked by Education Commissioner Johnny Key to run the district, you know, one would think that his word would have some sway um as far as saying what was in, you know, the best interest of the district and getting it Getting at schools um, in a healthy position to release it from state control. So, um, and you know, folks that can remember back to, to the big, the last time there was a big fight at, about charters at the state board, again, when the East EM and LISA expansions were, were up for discussion last March, uh, then Little Rock Superintendent Baker Curris took a very forceful stand against charters. I mean, he. Um, you know, I'd say quite aggressively, um, made the case before the state board that that they should not approve the expansion, and shortly after that, he was terminated by Commissioner Key and replaced by Michael Poor. Um, you know, so with that context, um, and and you know, Key still says like that's not why why Curris was fired it was because of the that charter decision, but widely assumed that that played a major role at least in in, in Key's decision. Um, I mean, Michael Poor has been a lot more. Cautious and uh, in, in the the wording of his opposition to this new round of charter ex- charter uh, growth, but um, you know he's he too has pretty, been pretty forceful in making the case. I mean he's got sort of a less combative um, approach rhetorically than than Curris did perhaps. But I mean I was there at the meeting. and He got up for every one of these proposals and he said very clearly, um, I think you should review this. You know. And it would have been interesting to see him make the case a little more fully had it gone to review and, and had the state board actually taken that closer look at is this a good thing to do for, for Little Rock educational environment more broadly. But that didn't happen. Instead, the state board simply chose not to review. The applications cleared that final hurdle, and so now uh, Einstein will be opening a campus in Little Rock um, next fall. Um, Scholar made will as well, and then Friendship... Will open its school in, um, I believe, the fall of 2019.
0: And what we're talking about, seven to nine hundred seats or so—is that right?
1: Well, um, initially, I believe it'd be around the order of 600 in fall of 2018. Um, Then it would grow by several, by a couple hundred, the next year. And I mean, so the way the charters often operate is they they will add a grade each year um, as the school grows. So like. I believe that Einstein is starting out as a K-3 or maybe a K-5, and it's going to add, you know, grade 6 next year and grade 7 the next year. I could have the, the numbers wrong. But, you know, so as it adds a class, it's going to add, say, 50 or 75 additional seats. So there's sort of a longer-term growth pattern here. And, I mean, the bottom line is looking out, you know, 10 years from now, you're going to see something like 1,700, 1,800 new charter seats in the district just from these these three new operators alone um, and that's on top of the growth that Eastim and Lisa are planning on. Um, you know, Eastim wants to have an enrollment of around 5,000 students by the mid 2020s. Um, I mean, and then there could be other charter operators down the road too, um, since I mean the cap on the number of allowable schools keeps rising.
0: And what, how many sc- uh, students are there in the LRSD? 16,000.
1: Uh, r- right now, it's around I believe it's around 23, 24,000. Okay. So um, you know, it's still. Outnumbers the, the charters significantly. It's not. It's not the proportions that we see in a place like Washington D.C., where I believe you know, I could have this wrong, but around half the city's charterized, or New Orleans, where it's 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 the entire city basically. Um. So, but um. I mean, what happens here, and it's you know a point we've made a thousand times, but it bears repeating, is that um when you have this sort of environment of competition set up, um, it creates a dynamic where Uh, charters find it easier to attract students who have um, advantages, I mean, in various ways. I mean, be they more motivated parents, be they parents with money, you know. um, I mean, there's not explicit barriers to entry, such as, you know, a a testing requirement or something like that, but there are implicit barriers, like um, transportation. I mean, does the school have a robust bus system? Um, Does it... uh, What's the application process like? I mean, and so i mean the the worry here is that um it just makes it harder for the traditional schools to keep their head above water when they're when they're there's sort of a, a siphoning off of students to these competitors and and one of the the things that Michael Poor said yesterday, and I think he's made the case very well is that I mean part of the charter application process they're supposed to demonstrate a need that's being unmet in the community where they're proposed to operate so uh, they, they all talked about how there's a need for high-performing schools in this area, you know, which implies, therefore, that there aren't any high-performing schools currently. <laughs> and, you know, the superintendent really pushed back on that, presented some data that he had researchers at the U of A who have traditionally been fairly sympathetic to charters um, – that he had them draw up that showed when you adjust for poverty and you look at look at it on a growth basis, last year's test scores compared to this year's test scores, I mean, the elementaries in the area where these charters are are proposing to operate are really doing reasonably well, or at least at at worst average, you know, compared to other Arkansas schools. And it, um, so, I mean, you look at Stevens Elementary, you look at Rockefeller Elementary, Gibbs Elementary, some of them are doing a lot better than average. Some of them are, you know, like Gibbs Elementary has had some scores that Using his ranking, placed it in, you know, in the very top tier of schools in the state. Um, But, you know, the takeaway there is the Little Rock schools, on average, are not the dismal failures that, you know, proponents, some of these proponents of charters are making them out to be. Um, So, you know, there's just tremendous frustration about this because – there is a group a group of stakeholders commissioned by the state board itself um, that did extensive study and research on this issue and recommended in a report last month that there should be a some sort of a moratorium or at least like a, you know, close look at charter school expansion because they're afraid it will reach this certain tipping point in the city where the, the public traditional schools are just unsustainable. And um, the state board as I said, you know, seemed receptive to that idea at the time. They they paid lip service at least, but then when it actually comes to making a decision about the expansion of these charters, there's, you know, <laughs> it's full steam ahead.
0: All right, let's pause and talk about our sponsor this week, 42 at the Clinton Center. Forty two at the Clinton Center, as regular listeners know, is a great place for lunch Monday through Friday. They've got a special burger of the day every day. They use um, organic beef and Arkansas fresh bread and do all sorts of interesting toppings. They've also got a number of different specials throughout the day, uh, usually something that's on the lighter side, a salad, some vegetarian dish. Uh, we were there a couple of weeks ago and had a delicious noodle dish. You yeah. had the delicious noodle dish. All right, that's bit. right. I keep I wanted to lump you in. Mm. What did you have?
1: Um, I had the trout uh, uh, bon mi. Bon oh, right,
0: right. That was a special, I think. So check them out, 42 at the Clinton Center. Uh, they'll be open tomorrow and then all next week. It is, especially if you are driving to lunch, it's a great place to go because you can always find a parking spot. 42 at the Clinton Center. <laughs> Moving on uh, and staying on the school beat, the last week, uh, around the time we were taping, I think the uh, Literack School District and, uh Came to a settlement agreement with plaintiffs, um, several parents of Black students in the Little Rock School District, in a uh, racial bias lawsuit. Right. That was supposed to go to trial this past Wednesday.
1: Right. So I uh, settled with uh, John Walker's law firm, um, which this is a. I mean, this suit has been has been. Um, it's gone through so many sort of twists and turns and yet never really um, he's never gone to trial um, it grew out of a much sort of broader complaint that was challenging the takeover of the district by the state board that challenged the growth of charters in the district that challenged uh, the district's plans to build this new middle school in West Little Rock Pinnacle view um, and the US district judge Price Marshall who presided over you know much of the um, desegregation litigation in Pulaski County um, You know, heard out those arguments, uh, but basically it was winnowed down to this much narrower complaint that was set to go to trial this week um, about the state of facilities and programs in the district. So saying that, you know, basically schools that primarily serve um, African-American kids, Latino kids, they don't have uh, the same – they don't have as good as facilities as as schools that are primarily serving, serving white children. Um, and that programs such as AP classes, uh, magnet schools—I mean—are sort of crafted to 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 serve uh, white children and keep white families in the district, and are not um, and they are therefore discriminatory. Well, um, before yeah, so before we went to trial, um, and this is you know it's, it's going to be a hard argument to make, frankly, for the plaintiffs because there's a the burden when it comes to discrimination lawsuits in this day and age at least is about intent you know it's to show that there had to be discriminatory intent it's not enough to show that yes um schools that are mostly black have worse facilities it has to be shown that that was done by the district with the intent to discriminate it's part of why um some of the earlier claims made by the plaintiffs you know failed to to pass muster in marshall's eyes um so um this the settlement was struck. It, it does a few it does a number of things. Um, one thing to mention right off the bat is it it, it does include uh, one hundred thousand dollars in legal fees for the the attorneys, which a lot of, a lot of folks have, are not happy about. Um, that'd be John Walker's firm. Um, it also places um, it, it sort of binds school districts hands in building uh, this Southwest Little Rock High School that has been on the table for years and years. Um, and it says that. The, the district may not engage in new construction until it finishes the Southwest Little Rock High School, which will replace the current McClellan High School and Fair High School, and um, then the, the district must move the existing Cloverdale Middle School into the old McClellan building, which would need to be remodeled first. Um, and so that would be you know um, years and years away, basically. You know, so the district says it's going to do an official groundbreaking on the Southwest Little Rock site um, at the beginning of October. So we really may see um, a Southwest Little Rock high school in the next you know, two or three years, which um, would be something. Uh, another thing that it does is it, it says that the district will look into redrawing its attendance zones for high schools. Now, as Poor explained in a press conference on Monday, part of that just goes with building a new high school. It's combining two existing high schools. You're going to have to be redrawing some stuff. But um, a lot of people are wondering, well, what does this mean for Central High? Because... The Central High attendance zone is, I mean, I, it's, I it's non-contiguous. It's, yeah, it's non-contiguous. I mean, I, I, I personally think that there's there's truth to the to the the claim that it's it's a gerrymandered zone. I mean, you look at you look at a map and it doesn't look like a radius drawn around the high school. It looks like um, a zone that has been drawn um, to include certain neighborhoods. I mean, and, and I, the history of that is long and winding. I realize, but you know, I think I think there's a point a point there about, um, is that, is that entirely fair? I mean, now, um, poor says that when I asked him or another reporter, I believe asked him is central highs attendance is going to be redrawn. He said that he didn't really foresee that happening, but that's several years off and that why kick the hornet's (laughs) nest now. Yeah.
0: Okay. Let's move on to our last topic. And that is something that we have talked about, Uh, the last two weeks, but it continues to be, uh, if not the, one of the the top news items everywhere, and that is uh, the Trump administration's announcement to to phase out uh, the DACA program. Of course, the the big national news this week, uh, the president had a meeting with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, after which um, the Democrats said that they'd reached a deal with Trump to Um, bring back the DACA program to uh, enshrine it into law somehow uh, in exchange for enhanced border security but not including the border wall. Uh, Soon the Trump administration was disagreeing with that, but Trump was tweeting things that um, were sympathetic to the plight of DACA recipients and then he said a whole bunch of different things and uh, Trump loyalists and anti immigration folks have lost their minds,
1: yeah, yeah <laughs> um my favorite tweet of the week from Ann Coulter um something like, is there anybody that doesn't want Trump to be impeached right now? Yeah. <laughs> uh yeah i mean i I have been enjoying watching those people lose their minds like it's, it's but um and and I've been you know, pretty delighted to hear, I mean, the possibility that that he's on board with this. I mean, this would be the the biggest victory on immigration um, in decades, really, um, in terms of actually improving the lives of people, of real people. I mean, these are 800,000 young immigrants that could have their lives completely changed by this. And something that really needs to be emphasized, I think, is that this would be a vast improvement over DACA itself if it were done. If there was actual legislation, because DACA was always a workaround that Obama um, created because he was frustrated with the lack of legislative prog- progress on immigration reform, and he felt like something just needed to be done. And you know, the argument that conservatives are, have made is like, well, he didn't really have the authority to do that. You know, he was he was stepping outside of, of his of, he exceeded his presidential authority. And, you know, there's, you're going to have a legal back and forth about that. But the 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 point is, like, there's no way an executive order can confer legal status on somebody. And and, and, it, and DACA doesn't do that. It just defers prosecutorial action. Um, if you actually had a legislative solution to this, you could give people a way to be, becoming green card holders. They could eventually perhaps become citizens. And there's no way that any government could take that away from them in the future. You know, so... Um, I mean, fingers are really crossed about this. Um, I think people are being very, people in the immigration world, immigration advocates are being really not wanting to get too excited about it because it's Donald Trump and he says all kinds of things. I mean, and he has contradicts himself four or five times just on this one issue alone in the past 48 hours. It's really, I mean, it's just this whiplash of, wow, he's... Does he mean this? And then he says, "No, I didn't mean it." And he says, "Well, yes, I did. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, if if I can only imagine what people who have DACA and their families are going through, listening to all this, and emotionally, I mean, um, wondering what's going to happen to them.
0: So, you talked before all this came about. You talked to a number of of people with DACA, yeah. and heard their stories, and he wrote about one uh, that. Uh, was a pretty
1: powerful story on the Arkansas blog earlier this week. Um, yeah, I, I spoke to this this young woman who's 18 years old and from Parkview High School, or, or right out of Parkview. She graduated last year and is now working full-time, kind of remarkably for an 18-year-old, an HR position at a, at a firm in Little Rock. And she stands to lose her DACA in May uh, because that's just kind of how the timing works for her. Um, her the DACA permit has to be re- renewed every two years, the way that they're phasing out the program, you can't renew if your renewal comes due after March. So she's going to be, you know, should Congress not take action, she's going to be one of the first to lose it and with it her job, you know, because it's clear to her working in HR after all that she can't legally work there anymore if she doesn't have um, a DACA permit. Um, And, you know, like a lot of these, a lot of these kids, she came here um when she was six years old um from guatemala you know she it's very clear talking to her like she is uh an arkansan you know um right down to her accent like she is and she says she doesn't know anything about guatemala the thought of going back there is really scary to her she just remembers it you know dimly as a child and um you know there's There's 5,000 people like that in Arkansas, bottom line. I mean, there's something like – there's 5,000 DACA recipients in Arkansas, and each of them has a story along those lines. Yeah. And uh, she – I mean, one of the reasons it sounded like she got her HR job was because she was
0: bilingual. I mean, that's – you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. I mean, and so one of the things that that some people also – and some immigration advocates don't (laughs) – they secretly don't like talking about DACA as much as we do sometimes because – these are kind of the golden children. I mean, these are pe- these doc recipients have to have a clean criminal record, you know, and they have to have a high school diploma or GED or have or be working towards one right now. Um, they have to have arrived in the U.S. before a certain age, etc. And you know that that's a fairly, I mean, compared to the overall pool of undocumented immigrants, there's a lot of people who don't fall into that category for whatever reason. And you know. Um, are not eligible. Sure. Um, so, it does create this dynamic of like these are these are these are the good immigrants, perhaps you know, right. and and that's that's a little unfair, but um, you know, it, it also is it makes them a very sympathetic group, and is one reason why um, it's hard to argue against them, argue for them being kicked out of the country.
0: Sure. Yeah, it's a good point. All right. Well, let's move on to endorsements, Benji. What would you like to endorse this week?
1: Um. Why don't you go first, Lindsay? Oh, I was hoping you would. I'm struggling.
0: Uh, uh, I forget what it's called.
1: (laughs) I'm watching it. it.
0: (laughs) Oh, I know what it's called. I think I've endorsed it before, but uh, Halt and Catch Fire on AMC in its final season, and it's quite good. I don't think it's watched as much as it should be just based on the kind of coverage it gets and anecdotally people talking about it. It's... uh, what is this? I think it's its fourth season, maybe fifth, but all the previous seasons are available on Netflix, um, so you should go back and check it out. It it starts in the, I guess, late 70s at a startup computer company in Austin and follows this, this group into, we're now in the mid-90s. And there's some really cool jump forwards, um, but they're always doing new computer projects and they're Several families involved, and it's just really well done and fun. I've heard of it. Halt and Catch Fire. Yeah, it could be your next TV show.
1: One of one of one of one of eight hundred TV shows I have heard of, and just have no interest in. So, well, I have interest if it were in front of me. I'd watch it. Oh, I have one. Uh, one other that.
0: thing that is uh, a, a louder endorsement. So there've been lots of big um, articles that have made their way around Twitter and social media and blogs and stuff. We talked about the Town nehisi Coates, um, Donald Trump the first white president last week, and the uh, Cole Hannah-Jones has a, a great New York Times Magazine story that was last last week that is very relevant to what we're talking about um, with the uh, racial bias suit. It's about a, a, a case in Jefferson County, Alabama, which is where Birmingham is, where uh, a school district tried to, or a community um, Wanted to succeed mm-hmm. to start a school district, and it was like just abundantly obvious that race was a, a motivating factor there. But again, because of uh, what Benji talked about earlier, the, the the burden to prove that there is actual racial discriminate discriminatory intent, uh, that this what seemed like a slam dunk lawsuit was not. So definitely recommend that, but. I haven't quite finished it, but it's so good and I know it's gonna be good at the end is the Evan Osnos um long report from Inside North Korea in the New Yorker is fascinating. I read most of it last night. Well, but that, I haven't read that. I got late and I fell asleep. So I think it's online for free, so everyone should check it out since North Korea is in the news so much.
1: Well, um I'll do a um a political thing or a newsy thing too, which is um the daily podcast from new york times um it's good i i don't listen to a lot of podcasts um i just don't have the patience um but uh i really like this one in part because it's it's a digestible amount of time i mean it's 20 minutes at most usually and i mean it's no magic formula but it's just like take the story of the day or like the big story what's going on and report it in a little more depth and i mean um I feel like almost every day it's something that's really thought-provoking, um, be it a... I think what hooked me was after this, you know, really terrible um, major bombing in the green zone of Kabul a few months ago, um, he spoke to... Michael Barbaro, the host, spoke to a New York Times correspondent who is Afghani and who, you know, talked about, like, being a report, a reporter from Afghanistan, living in the city and, like, watching it sort of, you know, security decay over the, over the years of the war Um, you know it just gives you a whole different perspective I guess to hear people's like to literally hear people's voices talking about these things Um, so uh, check it out
0: okay thanks for listening and go to 42 and subscribe via iTunes and give us a rating and review it helps people find us Um, I think Max will be back next week but Benji will guest again soon I'll be around see ya same old Bobby same old